1: You're listening to the Kitchen Garden Magazine podcast, your fortnightly fix of gardening features, advice and chat. Subscribe and follow us now to never miss an episode. Hello and welcome to the On the Grapevine podcast with me, Dan Hayes, and my guest today, Dave Goulson. I did read a thing once, that basically said if mother nature decides she's had enough of the human race, homo sapiens, I think as, as, as things show, it's quite easy, we're quite, um, we like to think we're quite, um, we are clever and adaptable, no doubt about it, but quite simply put, if it decided it didn't want us anymore, we're not that clever and adaptable that it could fairly easily, well, the classic example is the bees, as you say, if, if, we, um, if all pollinators suddenly died off, came extinct, we're in a lot of trouble. Quite simply put.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it wouldn't wipe us out, but it would, it would, it would kill a lot of people, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Curtail,
1: I think, is the word they like to use. Yeah. Um, so I'm never, never quite sure whether that wonderful quote that's always given over to Einstein, but then everyone says it may he may not have even said it about the bees. I, I think no, it's, I, it's I, a conglomeration I, of a lot of things over the years, and it's just been accredited to him, I suppose, because he's a fairly well known person, let's be honest.
2: Yeah, I, I'm almost certain he never said it. I mean, he, he mm. I, lots of people have looked into it. There's not a shred of evidence that he ever said mm-hmm. it. And and he wasn't prone to kind of making weird pronouncements about things outside his field. So it seems like a completely incongruous yeah. thing for him to have ever said. I guess it was someone trying to trying to give gravitas to, yeah. to something they thought. So they... Yeah, but. I think so. It's a it's a it's a good point. It's a it's a headline grabber, and I suppose
1: that's what he's meant to do is try and obviously do things because um, I say your new book, Dave. The uh, if I'm right in thinking, I've got it written down here is Silent Earth: Averting the Insect Apocalypse, which yeah. is a similar thing. Is is I haven't I haven't yet read it, but I see it. it's got rave reviews, and I see you're into this Sunday Times chart at the uh, lofty height of number five in your first yeah. week. Yeah. Which is, yeah.
2: Yeah, very exciting. It's, it's just still in the it's at number 10 uh, this coming weekend. So still in the top, yeah. but only I only buy a whisker. Um but uh, but yeah, it's it's that's pretty good for a book of that type, I think, to you know, for a book about ethics yeah. to just to, to to sneak into the into the bestseller list. It's fantastic. Um I think it's very good because yes, you're up against fiction, non-fiction, every other type of
1: book. Unfortunately, cookery books, probably, but there you go. They sell well. But, I mean, give us a brief synopsis about it, if you can, Dave. As for, a, for a man who's never, who's walking in a bookshop, give us, a, obviously, apart from the title, does tell you quite a lot, but if you can give us a kind of brief synopsis, is it a collection of all your life work, to a certain extent, rolled into a...
2: I guess it, it, it's, I mean, it, it's a sort of celebration of insects and how... Having- Important they are, and how fascinating and weird and wonderful they are to start with. Um, mm. But then it takes a sort of dark turn and, and describes all the evidence that they're declining and and yeah. what, understand why that's happening. Um, uh, but then finishes with a with a, a big section on you know what we can do, basically with the, the averting part of the title. Um, mm. Uh, and, and you know, it, it, there is an awful lot we can do. It's not too late. And it's good. It's really important that we don't just depress the hell out of people by telling them it's all, it's all you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the, you know, we are making a mess of the planet, but we can we can recover a lot of it. We can, you know, pull things back largely if we pull our finger out. So it's trying to kind of convey, on the one hand, the urgency, but but also the message that it's not too late and giving people things they can do. and that, And that... I've, I always think it's one of the nice things about insects is that, you know, people can, can do stuff in their own garden, you know, even a tiny garden can support a surprising number of species of insect. Um And so, you, you know, people can get involved in a way that they can't, you know, very easily with stopping tropical deforestation or mm. ice cap melting or whatever, you know, you, n- nothing you do produces a visible result in those instances, but um, but with bees, you know, or, uh, insects generally, you know, even a, a, a few herbs in a window box, you know, in, and they all attract. Yeah, the insects and yeah. sniff them out. Um, I, it was amazing, actually. I didn't get a chance to say it on air this morning on Radio 2, but that garden that was created uh, up in Doncaster, part of the, you know, the big bee challenge thing, mm. and the, most of those plants were actually planted last night in the dark. With floodlights because because they hadn't it was all done really yeah. um, and yet you know this morning at eight o'clock there were bees on them they, you yeah. Know, I heard, yeah I heard that they on queue, wasps the yeah you know there weren't yeah. loads but 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 there were probably twenty insects that had already <laughs> turned up in you know within an hour of daylight so yeah. they're pretty astonishing um, and you you know little things we can do produce visible results and i think that's kind of quite nice
1: yeah I, I did hear you doing your bi dents as well which is very good <laughs> uh, yeah I, I know what you mean because um i think zoe didn't think the seed in the living roof would be ready and then got a surprise when she came around the corner and, and there it was on top so um yeah but no I, I i totally agree with you you're right even small things like that can make and, and i guess it's the uh if we all do our little thing, like that that network that people often talk about, if you joined all the gardens in England together, you'd have this kind of wonderful spine with it looked almost like the human kind of body, all the little veins and capillaries would, would spread out and actually you'd cover most of the country, would be pretty much covered and there'd be somewhere for a, every creature to find
2: somewhere. Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, maybe not every creature because some are really fussy about where they live and mm. um, live in a garden, but... Um, but an awful lot would. And um, I mean, they, yeah, they reckon twi- about 22 million private gardens mm. in the UK which, and covering, and the area they cover is, is so- something like a million acres. Um, mm. So, you know, and, and if you could help to join that up by getting the local councils on board so that all the road verges and roundabouts and parks and cemeteries and all these other kind of spaces, if they were all f- full of flowers and managed in a kind of wildlife friendly way then that would help to connect up you know the gardens and and as you say create a kind of you know national network of of habitat and it's it's not really any cost to doing this you know it's not there's not a downside it's it's i mean changing making farming more wildlife friendly is a much Mm. thornier problem and there's lots of kind of commercial vested interests and different very strong opinions about how how we should sort of feed the world without destroying it um, but when it comes to gardens you know the, what's the downside to making your garden wildlife friendly you know i mean obviously you have to get used to it looking slightly different you know you're not going to have a, a, a neat stripy lawn and you know rows of neat flowers in quite the way that some people like but you know that's not much of a price to pay really is it um so yeah it seems like a kind of no-brainer to me that we should try and yeah. look at it. And it's ha- it is exciting because it's already happening. You know, there are lots of people doing this. Um, al- although at the same time, it's kind of like like gardening is diverging. You know, you've got some people very keen to, to encourage wildlife. And then there's a house just up the road from me that have just astroturf their garden. Um, so mm. there's, there's, there are both extremes. Well, astroturf sales for, for gardening or astroturf yeah. props. Probably- where plastic grass sales have rocketed in recent years. So th- there's also a sector of society that, you know, they don't want any, they don't want any, they want a garden that's basically an extension of their living room that's completely free of life. Hmm. They don't have to mow, they don't have to do anything. Um, and they can hoover it if they get, a, you know, if the, if the lawn gets dirty. It's. <laughs> I mean, I personally would ban the down stuff, but... Uh, um, yeah, I- that's what I do for I'm a landscaper for a living. It's what I do for a living. And as you
1: say, I have in, in certain areas, I often think it's a good idea. But for certain things, but when they do it, a lot of people do large scale, like as in I might do a few metres here or there for a little old lady who can't get up there to mow it. And I think in that case, probably is fair enough. But as you say, I, I'm with you very much so that when it starts getting into football pitch-sized gardens, it's very costly. And they argue and say oh well this is the blah 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 but i still sit there and think "No, nah, doesn't doesn't cut it for me it, it is plastic grass yes it can look very effective it even could fool me from a distance but yeah. bottom line is plastic grass but i no, i do i know and i think i've seen you talk about before that you don't have to give your whole garden over to wildlife it's even just a part of it just leave it, like, like you say farm farmers especially fields used to be as you say it was the edges of the fields Now they kind of spray them with God knows what pesticides, which hopefully will come to an end soon. But the verges used to be where a lot of the creatures lived, in the hedgerows and the insects. But obviously that became, again, hedgerows. They still exist, but a lot were ripped out to kind of, I get an extra metre or two of growing my crops. And I think that's a shame. And that's somewhere where I think a lot of farmers are changing their game, though, and I think they are starting to realise that the beneficial insects around them far outweigh anything they could gain with a few extra metres of growing space as
2: such. Yeah, I'm certainly some are. I mean, I I think farming is kind of in a quite an interesting place at the moment, Mm -hmm. a very uncertain place. I mean, I I must admit, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. It's probably pretty stressful being a farmer these days. It's not easy to make... And the, the whole subsidy system is kind of up in the air because there's, you know, this new Elms environmental land management mm. scheme coming in, replacing the sort of cap, you know, we had when we were part of Europe. Um, and, and, you know, the old subsidy system, I mean, was a disaster, I think, because it, it did basically, for a long time, it it, it encouraged the kind of industrialization of farming. Um, mm. And it's high time we changed it, but exactly how it's going to change. And then at the same time of that, we've got the Agriculture Bill, we've got an Environment Bill. And then we're trying to strike trade deals with um, all sorts of countries around the world, um, including the United States and Australia and places um, which have completely different environmental standards to us, um, Mm -hmm. could easily have impacts on pesticide use and legislation in the UK. And the f- British farmers are going to be quite rightly um, pretty upset if we do a trade deal for example with the United States and then start importing food grown in the United States using pesticides that are banned in mm. yeah.
0: and, you know,
2: it's not a level playing field they would quite rightly say um, but then the United States allows tons of chemicals to be used that aren't allowed in Europe so so you know do we really want to drop our standards to theirs that seems like yeah. a catastrophic idea um but you know so it's really uncertain and I mean interesting but but also slightly terrifying because we really don't know where it's going to go well I think it's often
1: interesting as well and um, people often have asked me about organic or fresh and local could you call it I said well often organic don't never be fooled into thinking organic means it's purely organic because pesticides are still allowed under some organic practices as such. And people don't quite believe when I say it, but I say it, there are certain things allowed that you or I might not think, well, that's not very organic, but it's allowed under the organic banner as such. So I always say if you can get fresh and local. You're probably, that's the best thing you can do and then go from there.
2: Yeah. Local, fresh, seasonal produce. Uh, absolutely. I do think, I mean, we 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 absolutely have to reduce pesticide use and organic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's somewhat exaggerated how many pesticides they use. You're absolutely right; they do use pesticides mm-hmm. sometimes, um, and in some countries they use more. And the, again, the United States, their organic farming system allows more pesticides mm-hmm. than ours does. In the UK, it is pretty tight. I mean, they're, they are they're basically allowed to use naturally occurring compounds. So things that are, so um, pyrethroids extracted from plants are, are used as insecticides. But even then, if you want to use them, you you have to um, basically apply to the soil association for permission to use them. You can't just start spraying them around kind of willy nilly whenever you feel like it. Each time you want to use them, you have to actually fill in the form and send it off and, and explain why, you need to use it and there's no alternative and so it's a complete faff um and so you know the, there is not much use of pesticides in organic farming in the uk it's more than zero but um yeah. more less than a conventional farmer so i i do think there is some value in organic but i, I completely agree with you as well but um you know we i and i think for me, there's a whole bunch of things we need to do. Ideally, um, it's very hard to actually do them. But you know, do, there's a lot of evidence that small farms are more, actually more productive per um, per acre than big. Mm. Farms. So this idea that you know we have the bigger farms are more efficient um, is not really accurate. They're not they're not that productive per acre. Um, I mean, there's you obviously save the labourers. Small farms means more people working on the land Um, and to make that viable, you'd have to change the subsidy system to disproportionately support smaller farms rather than bigger ones. But that seems pretty reasonable to me because then you, you know, revitalize rural communities, get more people back into farming. There's hardly anybody works in farming these days. You know, it's just just one guy with a tractor can farm a pretty big spread. Um, So more small farms, much more diversity of crops being grown trying to support, you know, basically feed feed ourselves as much as possible by growing our own food. A lot more fruit being grown, things like apples. You know, it's nuts that we import 70% of the apples we eat when we have a climate that's for mm. <laughs> growing apples. I don't understand, you know, how we ever got to the situation we're in, where basically most of the landscape is covered in one of three crops, really. You know, mm. in, when it comes to arable crops, is wheat, barley and oilseed rape cover... Most of the country, yeah. um, you know, we, and, and then we import vast amounts of fruits and vegetables that we could, many of which we grow, so we can't mm-hmm. grow avocados or whatever, but there's a lot of things we could grow. And, and the more crop diversity you have, you know, in the landscape, the more wildlife it will support. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot we could do, but we'd have to persuade people, I think, probably to pay a bit more for better quality food as well. We've got really <laughs> used to this cheap supermarket Processed food, which isn't really good for us, you know, we've got an obesity epidemic, a diabetes epidemic. I mean, both of those are global, not just British, based on on sort of overconsumption of of rubbish processed food. largely mm-hmm. which you know, how did we invent a system that is making us ill? It it, just, it's, it seems remarkably stupid, really. But uh, anyway, it does,
1: yeah, it does. But I think that lot of that boils down, Dave, to um, that old thing called money. It's not best for us, but some, somebody's making money out of it, and that's it. Yeah. And it it's, it's a laziness that's crept into the society, I suppose. A, a lot of things, fake grass, we have just talking about it, is laziness. I love cutting my lawn, but, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people is, we'll oh, have to go and get the mower out. I love it. I can't, can't, can't beat it. But as you say, the laziness has crept into society. Right, a couple of quick uh, quick fire ones for you, don't. What are your top three pollinators or you can choose bees
2: and you can choose them for any reason you like? Top three pollinators uh, for any reason I like. Oh, crikey. OK, well, I, one would have to be one of the bumblebees. Um, yep. Let's go for a, a nice common one, a common carder, I was, as I spotted in the big bee yeah. garden this morning. Um, still plenty on the wing, lovely bees, great pollinators. Um, a brimstone butterfly. Uh, they're they oh, yeah. probably not the most amazingly effective pollinators, but they are pollinators. They visit flowers, and they're just. I just love to see them in the spring. You know, it's just a kind of sign that spring has arrived when you see the first brimstone coming out of hibernation. And let's have another one. How about the the hornet hoverfly? The one that the giant. I saw one in my garden just yesterday. Beautiful ah. hoverflies that uh, do a, a pretty Pretty passable impression of a hornet. They're quite, uh, quite beautiful, but big. Um, yes, you don't know that they're a hoverfly, you could understandably be somewhat nervous, but uh, gorgeous creatures. Cool fact
0: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, because uh, you did comment on my uh, social media. I, th- I was on holiday in Devon the other week, and I thought I'd found the. I think I thought it was a large tortoiseshell butterfly. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And I posted it, and then, uh, yeah, you and, and you know, uh, another, an intermologist, I'm because I was thinking, because so I looked it up and thought, oh, what is this? And then I thought, oh, this is meant to be extinct or very, very rare sightings. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, my hopes were dashed, and it was his little brother.
2: He's still <laughs> beautiful, still though.
1: Not very
2: I mean, common, but yeah, He's like, yeah they're, feet, though? they're lovely, aren't they? I mean, it's, and and I mean, sadly, small tortoise shells have declined quite a bit. They're still reasonably common, but they're much. They, they used to be. I mean, I I yeah, slightly embarrassed to admit that I used to collect butterflies when I was a teenager. Uh, to um, wouldn't dream of doing it now. But the small tortoise shell was just the commonest of butterflies back then. <laughs> And these days, you know, it's 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 exciting enough to see one that you, you know, you take note of it yeah. because you don't see one every day. Yeah, because, uh, well, I found that it was,
1: it was quite high up. Oh, oh, didn't know what happened there. Hello. I lost, I think someone, I'm using my phone, it's easier. Yeah, no, I was at the top of uh, one of the taller peaks of um, North Devon on top of a rock pile. I think this, uh, I can't think it's not Hay- Hayden's waltz, but um, yeah, I was just quite surprised to see it sitting there because it was blowing an absolute gale. It's quite, a way, it's quite a few hundred feet above sea level. And I was just kind of like, oh, it's just sitting there on the rocks, making it available for me to take a picture, which is very kind of him, I must say. Yeah. So, so on your, I know you're a vegetable grower. What do you think your um, your top fails and
2: triumphs have been this year if you found in your garden, in your vegetable plot? Uh, this, this, this year, um, all the kind of curcubits have gone mad because it's rained so Mm. much. I just love the water. Um, And I'd never grown them before, but um, we tried growing the things called tromboncinos this year. Oh, yeah, yeah. A kind of weird Italian courgette that's kind of rather long. Yeah. I've
0: seen them, yeah.
2: They're they're quite large. Yeah, they get... get, two three feet long probably longer right? we've been picking them before that when they get that big but mm. uh, but they're really nice and i mean they grow like crazy or at least they did, did this year but they're nicer than a courgette i think they're a bit firmer when you cut them you know courgettes can go a little <laughs> bit sort of soft and mushy um, you but have if- to get a courgette just right when it turns yeah. into a marrow too late yeah yeah um, but the tromboncino i i i have never grown them before but i'll definitely be growing them again mm. Um, hates this year. What have I had? To, well, yeah. Um, outside brassicas have been wiped out by um, uh, a whole load of pests, mainly butterflies mm-hmm. actually and pigeons. Um, so I, and there's not much you can do about pigeons really, apart from just netting your whole veggie patch, which is uh, I haven't I haven't mm-hmm. to do yet. But uh, there's always there's always you know good and bad crops every year, <laughs> aren't there? It's, and it, it's not always the same, but uh, uh, yeah.
1: Um, Right. Yeah, strangely, my, um, my brassicas, I've not netted them or done anything, and I normally have terrible luck with them due to the pigeons and, as you say, the, uh, our friendly butterfly. I've had no problems at all this year. I mean, I have got my allotment at home now, but um, I was, I've, just kind of, I've done nothing that I usually do, yet I've had my best results ever. It's I just pure luck, funny, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Well, part of the fun of gardening, though, is that it's unpredictable, isn't it? You know, it doesn't always work yeah. the same yeah. from one year to the next
1: no no my classics is always parsnips i normally try and get going early and fail but this year i grew some in some big pots huge great i had some trees when i where i moved out so i put some big trees in so i had some big like 150 litre pots and i grew some first early potatoes and i just thought oh, I'll, I'll chuck some parsnips in once i've dug them up a bit of extra um, compost in there and yeah they've absolutely flown away i think probably every single one's taken which is not what you'd right. normally expect with them, so I had to be thinning them a little bit, shall we say. But, um, yeah, it's, one of those, it's strange. Some years it just, it works, and yeah. other, you do exactly yeah. the same thing as you did the year before. It must
2: be weather, I think. Must, do, to a greater extent, control it, I guess. Parsnip seeds are tricky as well, aren't they? Once they get mm. going, they're easy as anything, but, uh, they, I mean, they, they die really quickly because you can't keep mm. them here. Yeah. But also, if you just... As you say, if you sow them a tiny bit too early and you get a bit of cold weather, then they just shrivel up and die. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. yeah, you just got to get the timing right somehow.
1: Yeah, I am also fine with carrots as well because we get quite warm early summers. The springs now can be as hot as our summers. I tend to find carrots can be quite susceptible to getting basically cooked alive in the in the ground. So I've had problems with those as well because, as I say, because our our seasons have changed changed a little bit. But we seem to get very hot early ones. And yeah, I often lose my first sowing to carrots. They're very patchy. I, I can only guess that
2: they get cooked to life, quite simply put. I guess, I guess we're going to have to adapt our veggie growing, mm. to changing climate, although it's so unpredictable at the moment that that's quite tricky, yeah. isn't it? The, the one yeah, that well, has changed is it's just just become more erratic, it seems, which yeah. is, is oh, uh, crazy.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm going to, if you're listening on a podcast, you can't see this, but I have a lovely signed edition of this certain uh, book here by Professor Dave Goulson. That is a lovely book, because that is it, is, it is about, but I quite it's a wonderful practical book. It's not just, it is about bees, but it does, you've stereotypically put in there all the other pollinators of the world, day, if I can say. And it goes, it goes, yeah, it goes in depth to quite a lot of the plants. Uh, as you say, if someone's watching on a on YouTube or something, I it does, it's a lovely, it's a wonderful in-depth book on the plants and all the things you can do, and it, as you say, it is predominantly about bees and bumblebees, but I like the way that you have, basically said, everything's got its place in our gardens
2: as such. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I called it gardening for bumblebees, um, partly because I, I've always been more, my kind of <laughs> research, my work is focused on bumblebees, but actually it was, I. I it's really gardening for pollinators, I just didn't think it sounded as good, and uh, there's, something, yeah. there's something about the word "bumblebee" that just has a nice yeah. ring. Uh, so yeah, it's it's it, it covers the whole lot, but uh, you might not realize that from the title. Yeah, no, I was going to say because does a book like that take you to put together because it's quite quite
1: a thing. It's it's a very in depth book. There's a, there's a lot of information in it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess it was. Two or three years in in the in the making, but not full time. Um, but you know, fitting it in around other other yeah. other tasks. But uh, and just just getting all the photos together was t- took a, a long time. Um, and yeah. taking out different plants that I hadn't grown before. And um, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I actually quite enjoyed that one. It's um, it was it was somehow less hard work to to write. Is it it's? I mean, it's it's not um my other books which are all you know all words basically and uh, and and you have to kind of yeah. um you have to really try to make them in, engaging um you, you you haven't got nice color pictures to fall back on and and, and yes uh, gardening for Bumblebees also has a kind of natural structure where you, it's almost like lists of all the different plants you can grow hmm. on it. so you don't have to find clever ways to link one paragraph to the next and and so on as you do in a more conventional book so yeah
1: yeah, it was, you can. It just, you can almost pick it up and go to the section you want as well, yeah. which is can be yeah. useful. It, which makes it very useful with people because as you can say, oh, I wanted to know about a B hotel. I can look it up in the index and go to. Whereas I know, I know what you mean. Yes, sometimes you've got to be very, got to be a right wordsmith to try and make things flow. Otherwise, as yeah. you say, long lots of words. Unfortunately, you. Well, there's another point you were saying about um a lot of things you wrote. A lot of them were peer peer read. And it's trying to get these sort of things into the because, as you say, that a normal person is not going to read a
2: scientific kind of paper. Well, I, I mean, I, I've all, I, I did find life as a scientist quite frustrating for a long time because I didn't, you know, I most academics, including me, for many years, you know, they they only write for scientific journals. They don't write popular stuff, um, and and it's a very kind of dry type of writing. And and any and in it, you know, most yeah most people would never dream of reading an academic paper. They, and they often mm. can't access them anyway because a lot of them are locked behind paywalls that if you're not a member of a university, you can't access. Ah, yeah. And if you can, they're pretty opaque, a lot of them, you know. Um, it's all in kind of technical language with a big stats section and lots of figures and uh, it's, you know, um, hopeless for communicating with a sort of a, a big, you know, a general audience. Um, yeah. But I And I, because I, I was long time I worked on bee conservation you know bumblebees why are they declining what can we do to help them um you know how can we make gardens more bee friendly how can we make farms more bee friendly and then you publish it in these papers and the only people that read them are other scientists and, and that just seemed mm. like a waste of time really um or at least it, yeah, wasn't, it wasn't actually helping mm. So, so, so that's why I, you know, resorted to other things like writing books and starting the Bumblebee Conservation Trust and other sort of outreach activities to try and actually, you know, do something useful rather than just churn out these these mm-hmm. double scientific papers. Um, and yeah. no, I'm glad I did. To be fair, it's 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 much more fun and interesting and rewarding.
1: Yeah, because what have you got? What what are your um any big plans you got for going forward, Dave? You got any? Because obviously that the, the uh, radio 2 big B challenge. are there any things coming up on the horizon that you, you, you think could be effective? Because it's obviously it's going to be an ongoing thing. Unfortunately, it's going to have to be.
2: Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I've got uh, um, I've got a petition out at the moment um uh, which what on the government website um but uh, banning urban basically asking the government to follow the French example and ban herb and pesticide use. Um, yeah, banning garden use, which I know not all gardeners would, would, would like. Um, no. But, uh, but you know, it's pesticides are not necessary in a garden, I, I would argue. Well, no. clearly they're not, because many cities around the world have banned them. Um, I mean, there's 170 towns and cities in Canada have uh, pesticide free. The whole of France is now pesticide free. Uh, city urban areas obviously not yeah. um and you know if paris and toronto are still standing um with they haven't mm. been run by you know weeds or cockroaches or whatever mm. um and and it's i think just think it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a small step but it it would make a difference if uh, mm. if, if we w- I- really want to make urban areas into havens for wildlife then and you know we need to stop blasting them with poison. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so in I think the UN it's
1: yeah petitions. I think it's gaining on a thing that I think people are think are actually realising quite simply put that actually we can't carry on the way we are going. Because I know around my local area they they've been doing a lot of wildflower areas. And sometimes wildflower areas could be conjugated that the council just can't be bothered to cut the lawn or the grass. But they've actually well, done actual areas around here, and I have to say. Everybody has said how effective and how nice they are. They always go through a bit of a, a down period, but you can't have 365 days of color. It, it doesn't, it's not going to happen. No. But um, they've been very well received. As you say, you can actually see what you can do with a little strip of land. Because that, that's what this is the thing about wildflowers people don't realize often. They don't need very good soil. In fact, they prefer quite roundabouts, for a perfect example. Not very good soil and not really a very nice atmosphere,
2: but they thrive. Yeah, I and it has, um, I mean, I, I think lockdown, you know, changed things in that regard because obviously the for, for a few months last spring, councils couldn't cut the verges because although everyone mm. was isolating, and uh, and everyone saw all these flowers appear on the roundabouts and verges and so on and and liked it. And then when the council started cutting again, they said, Hang on a minute, you know, what are you doing? That's, that's beautiful flowers, that verge has got orchids on it or whatever. And and I think that, you know, sort of um, uh, strange event that we've all lived through recently is, has had some positive benefits. And uh, not not just actually that that we've seen less councils returning to to their old cutting regimes, but also I think people actually, quite a lot of people spent more time looking at, you know, bees and butterflies <laughs> and just nature um, because they had time on their hands and their foot, you know, Suddenly, they weren't rushing around like a blue ass fly every day of the week, yeah. uh, getting kids to school, rushing off to work, commuting, and all the rest of it. Um, and and I think you know, it hasn't exactly changed the world completely, but it's it's it's
0: mm.
2: certainly um, changed some people in in the mm. right direction. I think. Yeah. I about your allotment today,
1: for our, uh, If there's one thing that anyone could do on their allotment, whether it be in their garden, the roof box. Is there any one little thing that you think if everybody did, would make obviously we can get more wildflowers and things? Are there any little things that you think that anybody could do and it wouldn't really put them out? Or is it is it true? It's just that get that little patch of wildflowers or just get some, get grow more borage. I mean, my, I chucked a little packet of borage down and to be honest, I've had to cut it back because it's taken over, but the bees have never, never left it alone.
2: Yeah, it, I mean, it, it does. Things like that are so easy, aren't they? Because it does grow like a weed, literally. Mm. Um, uh, the, actually, I mean, there's, it's very hard to say one thing because it's lots of little things, isn't it? The way you manage your allotment, you know, be a bit more tolerant mm. of, of weeds if you can. Um, look after the soil. Have a, I mean, it's kind of obvious to allotmenters to have an, a compost heap, but it amazes me how many gardeners don't have mm. a compost heap, you know? we should all be making the most use of, of the green waste we have and recycling it and mulching with compost. You know, it's fantastic for invertebrates, for the soil health, for all the little creatures that live in there. And it's fantastic for your plants. So why, why wouldn't you do it? You know, hmm. um, and, you know, again, don't, don't, don't spray. It'd be really, I mean, I'd also say, I, I don't think if people make their own compost, you don't need to use, fer, you know, for artificial fertilizer no. as well. Um, it's it's just kind of you know working with nature basically I mean it's it sounds a bit cliched but I think that's really is the secret to not just to to gardening and allotmenting but actually to how we should be growing food in farming as well you know rather than trying to kill and control all the time just just uh, you know encourage those natural enemies of your crop pests encourage the pollinators to make sure you get good pollination look after your soil and if you do those three things, everything else will look after itself, I think.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Dave. It's been uh, wonderful to chat to you. Um, I will get a, your petition. We'll get it and we'll get something put up so where you can join on to it. Because it's 100,000 signatures. Because well, I so- see on your social media, we'll, we can find it there as well. Yeah. I'll, I'll put a link up for it. But yeah, I think is a 100,000. You have to discuss it.
2: Yeah, that's the next target. We got past ten thousand, which was the where they have to write a written response. Um, mm. we're on 30, 32,000 at the moment. So it's like quite a way to go to get to a hundred, and then they have a mm. debate. Um, yeah, parliament, which would be great. So if nothing yeah. else, you know, I can't imagine the government will ban pesticides as I'm requesting. But at least it raises the profile of the issue and gets yeah. individual gets everybody thinking about it, and hopefully making the personal choice not to use them
1: yeah it gets people talking and that's ultimately how things get sorted is people talk and then uh, well yes yeah, probably not the best governments because they're not always the best that they tend to uh, talk too much but um yeah i should get that posted up and thanks very much for this Dave. and um i just uh, thank you very much for joining us and um, uh, have a fun rest of the year looking after uh, watching the bees by
2: well if the weather stays nice who knows it could rain anytime you think who knows with this weird year we're having? Anyway, no, it's been it's been fun to chat, Dan, and uh, do it another time. Yeah, we will do. Thank you very much, Dave. Speak sure. to you soon. Take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to Kitchen Garden Prime for just £4.99 per month. You'll be getting a whole lot for your plot, including an easy read tablet and phone edition to read anywhere, anytime. Exclusive access to 10 years of digital back-issue archives. Access to exclusive content from the online allotment, the Mud website. Plus, the monthly print magazine will be delivered free to your door each month. Head to classicmagazines.co.uk forward slash kgprime to sign up today.